My name is Evan. I've been your host for this series. Today, we are joined by Will Murray. Will, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. I, I've had been a Stride user since from the days when it was a chest strap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I've watched my my power decline over the years as I've had my strides. So yeah, no, it's been good. That's good. And uh, we, we we talked a little bit this morning. You had a nice uh, hill workout uh, earlier today, so you're all stimulated, ready to go. The mental energy is, is all there, and we're we're gonna have a really good focused uh, session today. Um, for people that are watching live. You can feel free to drop any questions or comments in the chat if you're watching on YouTube or the comments if you're watching on Facebook. We will also have this available for viewing in video form afterwards on our YouTube channel, as well as uh, podcast audio form um, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, today, we're going to talk about practical in-run techniques to defeat negative self-talk and route to triumphant performances with, like we uh, just introduced, Will Murray. Gus always writes the best headlines for these. Producer Gus, who's behind the scenes making all this happen. Uh, these, these topic titles are always my favorite to uh, kind of go through. Um, so, Will, we're going to uh, do a brief intro about you, and then I'll ask maybe uh, you to tell people a little bit about yourself after I give uh, kind of a brief intro um, of, of what you do, uh, and then you can give people more of an idea. Uh, so you're a mental skills coach for D3 Multisport, a USA triathlon licensed coach and training director for the R&R Project. And we'll link any of these links in the show notes or the description for people who want to learn more. Uh, the mission is to eliminate post-traumatic stress, PTSD, in our lifetimes. You're an age group triathlete and a co-author of The Four Pillars of Triathlon, Vital Mental Conditioning for Endurance Athletes. Today, we're going to talk about a few techniques that you can use to defeat negative self-talk. Uh, we'll talk about methods that you can use mid-run to stop negative thoughts as soon as they appear. It's crucial to stop negative thoughts early on before they become a distraction and that stress has an opportunity to manifest itself in your body and have negative effects on your physical performance as well. If you can recognize and quickly stop the negative thought, this will give you the opportunity to allow yourself to create positive thoughts instead, which is key to performing your best. So if that intro got you psyched up, got you jazzed, got you really excited to listen, we're gonna have a fantastic, fantastic series um, today. So, Will, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? You mentioned you've used Stride for years. Obviously, you're in the triathlon world. Obviously, you're in the athletic world. Um, can you give people just a little bit more information about yourself? The uh, This whole thing started um, a while ago when when uh, I met my my wife um, and she, I was running and cycling and that kind of thing and had done a few marathons and, you know, run the Boulder Bowler whatnot and was in the AA wave a couple times. And this is when I was, you know, a young guy. And um, she said, you know, you run and you, you bike, you should learn how to swim. And it's like, nah, you know, I, I swim like a box of hammers. I mean, this, this is my deal. And she said, well, this, there's this triathlon thing. It's like, oh yeah, no, I've seen that on TV. That's where I'm, that's where they crawl in in the middle of the night in the dark drooling and fill their pants and everything. Right. She goes, yeah, that's it. It's really great. <laughs> so, and I was smitten with her, you know, when I first met her. And so if she just said, let's go eat, you know, broken glass, I would have signed up for that. So the next best alternative was getting into the triathlon world. And then like everybody, I kind of caught the bug. And what, what I was noticing about 
what I saw a lot of things is the, the physiology seems to be really worked out. The first time or one of the first times I went to your office, I walked in and there's this giant whiteboard with uh, an, you know, an erasable marker in blue ink these strings of equations densely packed one after the other after the other and i just thought to myself okay the physiology is pretty well figured out i think i might have said to you i'll give you five dollars if you don't try to explain to me what is up on that board right uh, but what i didn't see was the mental side of the equation and if you look at you know all the things like vo2 max if you look at economy if you look at lactic threshold and all those things like that's kind of that's all there but the mental side is this whole other equation i just didn't see the kind of rigor on the mental skill side that i saw on the physiology side and decided i might want to do something about that yeah and it's something i feel like is becoming more of a concept that's at the forefront of people's minds uh we we've talked with a couple other people over this series so far and not necessarily everybody being, uh, you know, really in tune with the mental side of stuff, but people are at least aware that it that it's a thing now. And so more and more people are curious about it. And we're really excited to talk about um, more of the mental side today because, yeah, you can, uh, you know, do all your training. You can have a high VO2 max. You can raise your lactate threshold. You can train all that stuff. You can train by power. But if you show up on race day and all of a sudden you have something from the mental side getting your way. It, it doesn't matter all the training that you've done if all of a sudden come, you know, that final day for performance or, uh, you know, during training, uh, we can talk about examples like that as well. But uh, it's a side that a lot of people are getting more familiar with now as well. So the kind of outline we have here is some of the stuff we've been sticking to. We're gonna have a couple general topics that we're gonna uh, talk about. Feel free to expand upon them. And then we'll get to listener questions uh, as they relate during this. But then at the end, if anybody has any questions related to the subject, we'll also tackle those. The first set topic we had today was three ways to defeat negative talk. Um, so the first maybe uh, en encompassing thing is maybe defining this, right? So what would you define as a negative talk in the concept or in the context of uh, athletics? Mm -hmm. the, um, the thing that most people find is that they will have one or two or three phrases that recur to them that they say in their, their, own, their own heads, privacy of their own mind, that are really not helpful. And so it might be, you know, you're at the track and you have to do a whole bunch of, you know, 600 meter repeats. And it might be in the third one, it's like, oh, I'm not sure that I really need to do all six. And that one really hurt. And it's just all this negative chatter. And in fact, uh, in, in some definitions of being above, you know, above, above uh, aerobic threshold where you're actually accumulating lactate faster, you can clear it into zone four, uh, there's, um, you know, where your breathing pace changes, that tempo changes, the respiratory compensation and that kind of thing. And also the feeling in your legs and also strong internal chatter <laughs> where, you're, where you're sort of negotiating with yourself about these things. Or some people wait, you know, a couple days before the race, they start to psych themselves out. You know, they'll start to say, oh, geez, I didn't really get in all my training. And But for some people, it's a, it's a recurrent thing that ha that usually starts with I or you pointed at this person like, 
I always or I never or something like that. And I don't know if any of you out there ever have anything like that, that it's a recurring theme. That's a thing that you say to yourself that's just not helpful. It may be negative, but it may not be negative, but it's just not useful. It doesn't help you do what you want to do. So that's one definition that people might put on it. I find that super interesting uh, that, you know, probably everybody out there can identify it, right? Like if you're um, maybe shooting for a time trial, uh, hard effort. And, uh, you know, we've talked about one of the better ways to pace is, you know, the first one kilometer go out slightly under target, ramp up those next couple kilometers and finish hard. But if you uh, have that negative self-talk so early, you look down at your, you know, first split and you say, oh my gosh, I'm so behind pace or I'm so slow or I'm not, you know, right where, where I should be. That's definitely something that people can relate to. The maybe thing that I would like to ask you about before we go on to the uh, kind of set question here is, there a difference between negative, neutral, and positive self-talk that people might be able to identify with? Because if you're in the middle of a 200 meter repeat, it might be okay to recognize how you feel as long as you're not saying, you know, oh, my legs hurt so bad. Is, is it okay to have that kind of neutral talk or are we only aiming to eliminate negative you know, self-talk and only bolster that positive side? Well, I, I think it's a good question. And then and the neutral talk is mostly probably just data. Like, okay, you, Evan, are at the track and you just did your 400 and it was 58 seconds. And you said, oh, that's 58 seconds. I know, I know, actually you go faster, but I just wanted to use an example here. Not um, not here at altitude. I find <laughs> it pretty, pretty darn hard, pretty darn hard for sure. So, so that's just a thing, you know, or it's like, well, I can actually feel it in my, like today I was doing these hill sprints and I could feel it in my, v, in my VMOs, you know, it's like, oh, okay, they showed up. It's just, it's just data, right? It doesn't, I don't attach any emotion to it one side or the other. It's like, this is just what I noticed. And that's noticing what you notice. That's, you know, can be pretty useful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you don't want to have that uh, kind of creep towards that negative side of my legs hurt so much and I'm, I'm done after this repeat. Right. Right. So th there is some, some people think that what happens is you have some physiological sensation in your body, like my lungs are burning. Mm -hmm. And then your brain says, well, what does it mean? Well, mm. it means that oh, I'm lying slow or, you know, whatever. And then that turns into an emotion, mm. right? It gets sad or you get anxious or whatever. Totally. Uh, and it all happens, you know, neurology happens at the speed of light. It happens like that. So we don't even notice it happens. It's just like all of a sudden I feel like, uh, you know, I'm disappointed or whatever, just because we had this really quick, I felt my legs get tired. My brain said, it means you suck. <laughs> you know, off you totally. go. I'm no good for anything. And you're totally. swirling down the drain. So you, you mentioned that uh, people might have a, a phrase that, you know, willingly or unwillingly kind of makes its way in. People might have a rotation of phrases that are um, you know, kind of on that negative self-talk spectrum. What should you do about a really irritating phrase or self-doubt when it enters your mind? What are some strategies that people can employ? Yeah, this is this is pretty key. And there's really two ways to do it. I'll talk about the one when it, right when it happens, but then I'll talk about how to not let get it 
get started in the beginning, right? Uh, and if you're driving your car or operating heavy machinery, like don't do this right now, wait until you listen to the rebroadcast. But one of the things you can do is just some simple things about how, how, um, how sound comes, right? So maybe I would say to myself like, oh, I'm no good, right? That's this thing and it's just this kind of irritating thing and it pops up and I agree with it and all that kind of thing. Well, one thing you can do is, is um, take the volume. I don't know if you have a knob for your volume, if you have a slider, right? Whichever one it is, but you say to yourself and, and, and each of you knows what it is, this phrase that you have. So get that phrase and then just take and slowly turn the volume down to where you can just, just barely hear it or turn the slider and then have it say that thing again where you can almost just not quite hear it. So do that now. And then when you have it say it again at that almost imperceptible volume, like then how do, how do you feel it? Like how does it make you impact you? It's just like, eh, right? Yeah. So that's one way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, f I feel like that's something that people could even maybe use in different situations. So um, you, you, you talked about, yes, absolutely not when you're operating a car or heavy machinery, uh, if you're out on a run or sure. um, this maybe doesn't even apply to during a run, before a run, if you have like anxiety getting out the door or you're checking your, you know, your, your run splits afterwards, is this something that is equally beneficial like before, during and after? Absolutely. You can do this during your workout and, uh, and, and you can do it before and after. Before is really key. But let me show you an example. Sure. Uh, I don't know if this will show up. It, it should if people are watching live. Yeah, okay. the, the camera orientation so, stuff always gets me for yeah, trying so to show So there that. is my run workout today. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to do six uh, hill repeats, one minute all out, mm -hmm. all out, you know, at a 8% hill, which mm -hmm. I found one of, and then two minutes easy, and then do it again six times. Now, you notice a couple, you'll see seven spikes, and that's because sometimes when you're working really hard, you just get stupid, you know, and I couldn't count to six. So <laughs> anyway, there's why seven. And if you look at these carefully, you'll see three of them look pretty good. Mm -hmm. One of them looks okay, and two or three of them don't look that good. Mm -hmm. That's a mental mistake. That's not conditioning because you see some of the ones on the other side of it were okay. I lost my concentration. Mm. Maybe I had something going on. So in order to actually perform the way I should have been performing, mm -hmm. one of the things I could have done was a little mental rehearsal right before each one minute repeat where I'd, I'd kind of gather myself up in the two minutes easy and say to myself, okay, what am I trying to do here? This is all out stuff. This is potassium pump work. This is VO2 max work. And how the goods are going to get me on race day is if I can, you know, jump up my VO2 max and my, my potassium pump work, I'm going to be able to hold my, hold, you know, a higher pace for a longer time on race day. I'll be glad mm -hmm. I did it. Mm -hmm. I could have said that to myself between each hard interval in my rest interval every time so that mm -hmm. every one I would have brought my full thing. But mm -hmm. for some reason I was thinking about something else in two or three of those and you can see it like this stride does not lie. It's right, right there. Right. And that's so, something I could have done in advance. It's pretty hard to do this in your one minute all out. Mm -hmm. And what I was finding and I was falling off at about 40 seconds, like starting to really struggle there. Mm -hmm. But in between, in the workout, I could have regrouped myself between mm -hmm. everyone and said, okay, here's what I'm here for. And 
that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's say, um, you had this experience, you had this morning and your training calendar calls for, um, I don't know, let's just say instead of six times 60 second hills, you have five times 70 second hills, uh, like three weeks from now, what would be a strategy that you would employ for yourself or recommend somebody in the exact same situation to acknowledge and just realize ahead of the workout next time, what could be some of those um, mental cues? Cause you obviously see that, yeah, you did uh, you know the set session today, but you lost focus. What could be a sort of encouragement for yourself next time or a routine to kind of slide into right before a hill repeat, maybe just a yeah practical example for somebody. So Evan, you had Dr. Stephen Walker on mm-hmm. last week, a sports psychologist who talked a lot about things and he talked about the value of rehearsing things ahead of time. So there's a spot in your brain right here called Broadman's area. That's the part of your brain where you store memories of things that have not yet taken place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not the mental floss, right? Yes. We do this all the time. We think about something that hasn't happened yet, and you can play it in your head different ways. You can ta- catastrophize it. Like, I'm going to show up on race day. I'm going to drop a bottle. I'm going to get a blister. I'm going to get cramped. You can make all those, those pictures in your head and have that dialogue in your head about something that hasn't happened yet. Mm. Or you can install the thing you want to have happen because because our brains are in a way like a good golden retriever. They aim to fetch what you chuck at it. So you might as well install in Broadman's area the thing you want to have happen. So there's a saying here that uh, that um, um, you know if you have to think it's too late, like in a race situation. So you want to install all this stuff uh, the way you want it to have a go. So the next time I have this workout, it's going to be five times 70 seconds. Mm -hmm. Lucky me, because that's where the money is, right? Right. What I could do ahead of time, right before I go into it, is make a little picture in my head, a motion picture dissociated, like I'm watching myself on a movie Mm -hmm. of this workout going perfectly. Mm. If I like the way that looks, I would bring it inside and do it associated like I'm seeing it through my eyes and feel it through my own skin mm-hmm. and run that movie 20 to 30 seconds long for a 45 minute workout, mm-hmm. having it go perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I also have to tell myself, why am I doing this? Because it's going to hurt, right? And so you say, well, this is a VO2 max workout. I'm working on potassium pump stuff. I'm trying to bump my VO2 max. If, if I bump up my VO2 max, it gives me more ceiling for my LT. It's better on race day. Great. Right. Okay. Right. Because we're all doing this on purpose, even though, you know, it's difficult and it's challenging. Sure. If I if I bring my brain along and then I make these images in Broadman's area, my brain says, oh, I get it. Because everybody knows that we are programmed to move away from pain and move towards things that are pleasurable. Mm. Well, it's kind of hard to say that these 70 second, <laughs> 8% hill sprints are pleasurable, but they're beneficial. Right. They're, um, you know, we, we strive towards these things. There's something positive in it. So if you bring your brain along and explain these things ahead of time to it and make a picture of it, then your brain says, oh, got it. And so I was at the track a couple of weeks ago doing 1K repeats. And on the sixth one, <laughs> instead of saying, I don't like this, this is hard. Why don't we just do four? Mm-hmm. This voice in the back of my head said, are you going to count that one? <laughs> it's like, it was like giving me the business for not going hard enough. Right. So that's why if you have to think it's too late, you put mm-hmm. these things in your head ahead of time. And then 
when you go to do it, your brain is looking for the thing it's looking for that you've put in broadness area. Instead of the catastrophe, it's looking for this should be really hard. And, you know, if it's really hard, it goes, yeah, post speed. Let's go like, you know, let's get on the next one. Right. When uh, when we did have uh, Dr. Walker on last week, I, you know, related one of my personal experiences was uh, when I had my goal marathon, my, my second marathon that I did, I had a certain goal that I wanted to do. So every run for like the nine months leading up to that, I pictured myself I, like literally every single run. And so then uh, I told him on race day, it wasn't a surprise. It was the outcome that was going to happen because I had visualized it so often. So um, right. you shouldn't necessarily visualize your five times 70 second hill repeats for for a year leading up to that workout. But it is very powerful to be able to kind of enact that. Um, I wanted to ask a follow-up here. So you mentioned specifically during training the importance of this self-talk and the pushing away of the, the negative self-talk. Uh, so in the context of actual performance, mm -hmm. how much of a limiter is negative self-talk? What kind of performance have you seen athletes achieve once they turn that negative self-talk into that more positive direction? There, there's really kind of two sides. This one is not giving up. And you've seen a whole bunch of people in races that they just like kind of gave up and they they phoned in the last half, the last mile, the last whatever, you know, they just kind of quit. And, uh, you know, see this a lot with cross country runners in specific because they're just red line right off the bat, you know, and they're just going like crazy and, and it's, it's painful the whole time. And you have to really want it to be able to hang in for that period of time at that. And same with Nordic skiers, you know, they're just crazy. They come through the finish line with snot all over their faces because they can't wipe their nose because they've got their poles and they fall in the snow because it is snow and it's not gravel so they can fall down. But I mean, it takes, it, you actually have to have your mindset right to, be able to go that hard for that long. And so one way you see this negative self-talk coming in is, is people quit. You know, they quit in the middle of a race sometimes. So that's one thing you'd see it. The other side is when people realize this. So I worked with a professional triathlete who she came to me and, and uh, she said, I'm so sick of second and fourth. And she, she started as a swimmer and a college track star. So to become a triathlete, then you just learn how to ride the bike. I mean, the bike racers cringe when I say just learned how to ride a bike. Sorry about that. Um, and what was happening was, uh, so no, so she'd come out of the water first because she's an amazing swimmer and she could really ride a bike and then she could really run. So if she came in second, it's fourth, it's because, because somebody caught her on the run, right? Because she comes out of the water first and she comes off the bike first. And given her track background, nobody should ever catch her on the run. So I asked her, like, what happened when somebody came up on your hip and you let them get away and end up being second and fourth? And it turned out that there was this voice that was kind of right back behind her right ear, um, about a foot back. And it was this kind of sing-songy voice there. When somebody come up on her hip, she'd go, oh, you know, she's a really fast girl and I had a hard week and second's pretty good and all this stuff where she would just let her get away. So then I had a break state, you know, look around, focus on something else. And then it's okay. And then when you have somebody come up on your hip and you don't let them get away and you come in first, how do you do that? She says, oh, and it was her voice out in front of her, like about here, about a uh, foot in front of her, uh, left eye, and the voice said in this tone of voice, okay, it's not your day to win. 
It's my day to win, just like that. So now we know how she wins and now we know how she loses. And what we did was take this voice back here, which turned out to be her at age 12, and grow that voice up to her present age and install these things. So that voice got satisfied. But what we had her do with this voice is every time she was running really fast, we had her say that to herself, it's not your day to win, it's my day to win. That way, those two things, her running really hard and that voice became wired together. It's like when you flip on a light switch, the light doesn't have to think about what to do. It just the hell comes on. So we anchored those two things together. And for the rest of the season, she won every single race and then she retired. So that's the upside of getting the voices right, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. so interesting. Uh, is there, you, you mentioned that that Broadman's area kind of associated with a certain part um, of, the, of the brain. Is there other sort of uh, research about different areas of the brain that get like activated or stimulated for different like patterns of thinking like this? So like, is there negative self-talk usually concentrated behind versus in front of, or is that something that's still uh, yet to be determined? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, where the voice was coming from, that was specific to the individual. That's not necessarily part of the brain. It's, it's the subjective experience. Sure. Sure. So for example, another thing you can do if you have a negative voice that comes around, it's saying, think of another one different. You know, and everybody should get one and maybe you have one like that. And if you think about one now and you say, oh yeah, that one. Mm. Location is really important. So if you take that negative voice and send it back about, let's say 300 meters behind you. Mm. Okay, and it's back there now. Now have it says now have it say that a key thing it says. Go ahead, do that. Meh. Yeah. Right. Totally. I can't hear you. So those are two really easy things to do with negative voice. One, you turn the volume down to where you can barely hear it or slide it down. And the mm -hmm. other is you send it so far away, it's just like it's so far back there. And it usually is better to send it back behind you mm -hmm. than in front but for some people it kind of works right and replacing it with something that's more useful like and usually it, it's better to not make something up but find something in your own personal experience like in a race when you really were up against it and you prevailed mm -hmm. you know, what happened right then like with this one professional triathlete she'd say it's not your day to win it's my day to win we mm -hmm. found that real thing we programmed that into her workouts. It became automatic on race day. And then it's just like, you know, when they find out that she was in the race, all the other women say, well, who's going to get second? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's super helpful for that, um, that example. Uh, I have one last question for this first topic before we get to some of the questions that have trickled in here. Uh, if you have a difficult workout coming up or a run that you're not looking forward to, are there things you can do ahead of time to handle the fears of the workout? So maybe one specific example would be the middle of last week where here in Boulder, we got a foot of snow just, just kind of overnight. And then the people that had, you know, Friday sessions where they had to do like a hard workout, all of a sudden they have, you know, eight to 12 inches of snow that's sitting on the ground. And they say, I have no idea what to do. I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything. <laughs> uh, but what would be uh, an example for somebody that is coming up to that, you know, difficult mental hurdle that they have to get over? The, the uh, let's just pretend it's not something like a snowstorm that prevents you from actually going and doing it. Sure, 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 you sure, just sure. kind of don't want to, sure. right? 
well, it goes back to that thing about installing the memory of the thing you want to have happen ahead of time so that your brain is all is all peaked to that. And that's what it's looking for. Mm. So this little thing, and, it, and I like this little formula. First of all, well, what's the purpose of this workout? Mm -hmm. If it's a, let's just say it's a 90 minute recovery run. The purpose is to clear out all these metabolic products from yesterday, get me get me lined up for tomorrow. That's mm -hmm. the why I'm doing it. The what is 90 minutes at zone two, which on my stride for me would be about, I don't want to give away any, <laughs> but let's just say 170. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to do, you know, uh, my stride, I want to do 90 minutes at about 170 with low variability index. There's a little bit of terrain here. So, you know, you kind of kind of manage for that. And that's what it looks like. And then and then how that's going to help me on race day is I'm going to have a really good workout tomorrow because everybody knows you don't get fit while you're working out. You only get fit in the recovery bouts after you've overstimulated your body to come to come back stronger, fitter, faster. Right. So this is while I'm doing this. And then you make this little movie in your head. What if it went perfectly seeing myself over there like I'm watching myself on a screen? Now, mm -hmm. the 90-minute workout, the imagined movie is going to be in full color, but only 20 to 30 seconds. Right. And if that feels pretty good, I'd step into the movie and do it from an associated position like it was happening to me. Mm -hmm. And then your brain has everything it knows. Cognitively, it says, here's why I'm doing it. Uh, the, the move towards pleasure is, here's how it's going to help me later. Mm -hmm. And then the Broadman's area is installed with and dissociated first and then an associated picture of how it goes. Your brain has everything it has to go up and get out the door. Mm -hmm. The other thing you can do then is to reduce anything is get everything set up the night before. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be, you know, put, put your clothes out and everything so that there's one fewer <laughs> obstacle in the morning. Right. What time you're going to go line up your running partner. If you have a six foot away from you running partner with, you sure. know, mass on and all. And then the next morning when you get up, your brain says, well, we, I mean, this is like watching, you know, frozen, like we know how this ends. So let's go. <laughs> But if you start out with just get into your hard workouts without bringing your brain along, it just says, this this hurts. This is bad. I don't like this. What are we doing here? Mm -hmm. If you bring it along, it says, oh, cool. Let's, you know, let's get on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I find that interesting because that's usually something that I've heard in the past is recommending somebody if they have a hard time getting out the door, oh, put your shoes by the door, put your running clothes out. Some people go as far as saying, literally sleep in what you're going to run in the next morning if you have a hard time. Uh, can you talk about uh, any sort of mental strategies that you can relate with routines? So this is even, you know, effective come race day or time trial day where, um, you know, you have to practice the nutrition, you have to practice waking up the breakfast, like everybody already kind of understands that they know to not do anything new on race day, but they might not know that they have to do the same exact thing every training day to make race day not feel like a brand new experience too. So could you talk maybe a little bit more about routines that people could enact and maybe why that's important? You know, <coughs> pardon me, I, I don't have it. <laughs> okay, I just wanna point that out that, yeah. Um, uh, you know, so after some repetitions, this becomes automatic. Mm -hmm. So now when I go to the pool, and by the time I've spit and swished out my goggles, I've mm -hmm. already done my my workout rehearsal, mm -hmm. why it's important, 
what it is, how it's going to help me on race day and done my dissociated associated movie. When I'm lacing up my shoes, well, I don't lace my shoes. I've got speed laces. When I'm putting yeah. my shoes on, it's become automatic, this little 15 second routine that it takes. I want to get on my bike or do a strength workout. Um, it, it has become automatic by doing it every time. And now mm -hmm. I don't have to think to do it. It's just kind of like, you know, when you're coming up to a stoplight, you know, there's a red light on top, a yellow light and a green light. I don't have to think like, what the hell is this? Like, what am I supposed to do with the light just turned from yellow to red? What does it mean? Right. It becomes automatic. Right. So routines become automatic. And if you install a really good routine after a while, you don't have to think about it anymore. Your brain goes into automatic and then it just kind of flows in there. So I'm a big believer on routine so that it becomes normal. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've found uh, definitely hard patches, especially in the winter of just forcing yourself to get out the door, but practicing putting on your shoes and literally walking to the front door, opening it and going to walk outside is a, a huge thing to help with some of those uh, men mental battles when you're actually running and pushing through a hard patch. That's a different thing right. than just putting on your shoes. But um, we have a couple questions uh, that have come in so far. So I, I'd like to get your take on some of these and a reminder for anybody watching live right now, feel free to pass your questions along and producer Gus can send them our way. So the first question here is, can relaxing your brain and not thinking about anything, including positive self-talk, help in those bad patches on runs? Is there any research on this? So this isn't even necessarily uh, trying to force that positive self-talk, use that mantra that somebody might have. Is there any research on just relaxation during uh, you know, a hard, hard bout? Uh, I'm sure there must be, but I don't know what it is. Awesome. Yeah. What, what I do know is Bobby McGee, who was the running coach for the USA triathlon team, mm -hmm. uh, Olympic team and the junior development program, what he will, will tell folks to do sometimes is in, to shut your brain off, just concentrate on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So for example, for a hundred strides, you might concentrate on your elbow swing mm -hmm. and a hundred strides, you might concentrate on your footfall. Mm -hmm. At 100 strides, you might concentrate on your transverse abdominis or something like that. Just do what you're doing and concentrate on what you're actually doing. Right. It just kind of, your brain has something else to think about. But I, I don't know about research about turning your brain off entirely. And I actually, personally, I don't really know how to do it. So um, that would be a different thing. Yeah. But I do, but I do follow Bobby's advice and like on these these hill repeats I was talking about today what I was really really looking at is the phone pole the wet at the finish that I was trying mm. to get past every time in the 60 seconds I had allotted to me and right. I like focused on get by that phone pole awesome so I think anything I was just looking at this thing yeah I love that strategy um, specifically for things like hill repeats if you're doing the same course and your only goal is to um, you know, like people talk about some strategies of if you do a 30 second hill, uh, you know, try and get to the marker that you've laid out. You don't even have to have that phone pole. You could just drop a hat or drop a glove and just get there. And then if you, uh, you know, end up going past it, take that marker and put it where you ended up finishing and stuff like that. Like that's a super powerful, um, easy way to, to help you um, do, do that. I think next question here is when I stop training for too long, Maybe after a big competition, it's very difficult to return to a regular routine of training. You need a very long time to return to that normal sort of training routine. 
what would you suggest for long train pauses besides don't stop training in general? So maybe for uh, yeah somebody that has gone through a really long injury span um, or they've just decided to take a little bit more time off, how do you kind of kickstart back into that routine? Well, a couple things. One is you got to decide what you're doing this for. Like mm -hmm. it's a game. <laughs> We're fortunate to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Nobody makes us. There's nobody in it. Even the professionals are doing it. This is the this is the business they've chosen, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, what's in it for me? You got to decide what's in it for you, mm -hmm. and you know what it would be like if you actually uh, got going. Another thing you do is propel yourself into the future. Mm -hmm. Let's just say it's three weeks from now, mm -hmm. and I look back on today and said, "What did I do that day? Did I actually get out and get something done, or did I just kind of, you know, let it fritter away?" Mm -hmm. So your future self will look back on your today's self and say, "You know, what do you want to be able to say about yourself?" And then uh, the third thing is this use your stride, you know, really, I mean, you, this thing measures all this stuff. It measures ground contact time, stride length, you know, leg stiffness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, index and, and all these things as well as your critical power and all these things. Well, where am I today? Mm -hmm. And where do I want to be at some point in the future? And then how do I map myself to get over there? Cause you, you know, you muscle up and do a boss marathon, which ain't happening today, but, you know, yeah. it's going to happen in the fall. And then after, you know, you kind of did the big letdown and, you know, you did it and it was this big goal. And once you achieved your goal, then if you don't have something right behind that to shoot for, a lot mm -hmm. of times you just wander in the wilderness, just like totally lost. Totally. So I use the stride to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then where am I now? Uh, use the measurements for that and start to build up. And the other thing that people can do during that time to get going is instead of just jumping back into training, jump back into being an athlete. Mm. So go to the track, do plyometrics, mm -hmm. um, do drills, do dynamic stretching and all those things because your stride will measure these things. So instead mm -hmm. of jumping back into training, maybe I want to do a three-week course of plyometrics and drills. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to measure my ground contact time, my stride length, my, my leg sp spring stiffness, and those things I can measure to see I can get better. Mm -hmm. I may not be getting faster during that time, but I'm becoming a better athlete. So when mm -hmm. I do go back into training and start to lay this stuff on, I've got a better base from it. So I'm you know, at an age where I'm not getting faster anymore, but I can still become a better athlete because my stride is going to measure all these things detectably. I can tell I'm become a better athlete because I get all these measures like stride length and cadence and, right. you know, ground, ground contact time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, you know, something that I've, I've enjoyed. I uh, ran a marathon at the end of February, took a couple weeks off, and then I've been getting back into um, training, but literally just being able to, you know, look on the power center and see where I was five weeks ago when I was doing, you know, 10 minutes of, run walk versus uh, yesterday I did a 30 minute threshold and I've, I've been able to build up, um, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, but just, yeah, just be able to look at those numbers. So um, be able to get back in that routine. It, it does make it very easy when you, when you have uh, all that data on your side. Um, I want to talk about uh, two more questions here before we get back into the set topic. And then um, if anybody does have any other questions, please feel free to send them our way. Uh, this next question here comes from Andy and Andy says, how do you know to whether 
to run through the pain or pull up. So as in like dial back the intensity, you tell yourself to ignore the pain, maybe push through, um, maybe you perceive that pain as negative self-talk, but then you get injured. So maybe what's that balance between knowing that kind of fine line between pushing too hard versus, uh, you know, pushing those negative thoughts away? Mm -hmm. This, uh, this, we need to make a, a differentiation here. If you have pain because you have an injury and a running problem, uh, tendinopathy or a pulled muscle or something like that, that's a whole different side of thing. And probably nobody would tell you to push through that. If you have a niggling thing or anything sketchy, you just treat it like a full-on injury and you go to your you know, body worker and you get treated or you use your massage stick or your foam roller or um, the, your car buffer or your i stick or whatever it is. That's one kind of pain, right? Like my hip is killing me. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the pain that comes from really high intensity work. You know, it's that uh, hydrogen ions that, you know, separate from the, the lactate that create, you know, that, uh, that, that feeling in your, in your legs. It's the respiratory compensation where at the, at the end of 60 seconds of flat out hill sprint on an 8% hill, that's really hurts. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, as, and as soon as you stop, you know, you're still producing lactate, which is splitting into lactic acid and hydrogen ion. That's still coursing through your system. It takes a few seconds. And that breathing, like you can't breathe and your hands are on your knees and all that stuff, that's a different kind of pain, right? So if we're talking about that pain, you have a training plan and your training plan is built to build you up to that. But it's it's always like one step ahead, giving you a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more that you need to respond to to get stronger. That's the kind of pain that you should be able to with a good mental rehearsal, like we said, where, like, why is this? Why am I doing this physiologically? What's happening? How will this help me on race day? And then the associated movie, dissociated movie first, associated movie of going perfectly. That's the kind of thing where your brain won't be an anchor dragging off the back of the boat. It will be helping you get that done. And so, yeah, it's going to hurt. That's I paid good money for this. <laughs> I'm going to get every little bit of hurt out of this. But Absolutely. if you have an in, a running injury, running problem, that's a separate thing. And pushing through like that, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think I, again, you know, at my age, any little sketchy thing, I'm treating like a full-on injury and I'm just dogpiling it to make sure right. if it's a running problem, I don't want it to turning into a running injury. Totally. So different things, pain and the pain of an injury, running prime versus the pain of you know that i would get in my workout by if i did it as prescribed it's going to hurt about that much and i paid good money for this and i'm going to enjoy every bit of it awesome uh last question here before we dive back into um the set topic uh if you are dealing with an actual injury and you start to experience pain uh, again, this this kind of goes and ties back with it, I, I, I suppose. So uh, how can you best deal with it, reduce it, eliminate it? So um, you, you mentioned the difference between pushing through versus, uh, you know, knowing what is that negative self-talk and the, the pain of running uh, that you paid for and you signed up for. Uh, you, you mentioned maybe some uh, recovery stuff. Maybe this could be a chance to talk about just for you as a runner personally, what are some recovery tools or strategies that you use in, in your own running? Well, the, the one thing, again, you know, when I'm doing a recovery workout, I want to do that pre-race rehearsal because I actually really want it to be a recovery workout. So let's just say, you know, I'm running down the bike path here 
and and some you know somebody runs by me and he doesn't look like he should be faster than me he's dumpy he's got black socks on you know or whatever in the olden days i could not resist you know i was like i should be able to run faster than that guy and i like click on and then i pass him and all this other stuff and there goes my zone two run what did i just do i threw away yesterday's workout because I'm not recovering, I compromised tomorrow's workout when I'm supposed to go hard. It was just like, it was just like, you know, why would I do that? Now, when I do my recovery, why am I doing recovery? Clear out these metabolic products, et cetera, et cetera. How do I do it? I stay in zone two. I stay at 170 watts on my stride. And, and how is it going to help me on race day? Well, it's going to help me on race day because I'm getting the full benefit of yesterday's workout. I'm going to get the full benefit of tomorrow where the money is. And that's going to do. And then I make my little dissociated movie, associated movie, full color going perfect. And when I go out, when this big guy who I think should, you know, be slower than me with his black socks run by, I say, hey, you look awesome. You know? So yeah. that's where I think the recovery stuff. The other recovery tools are some things about if you do have some negative self-talk about, oh, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about. If you transform that into something that's more useful by either, you know, turning the volume down or sending it away or actually transform it by, by saying what, what, so there's a presupposition here that all your negative talk isn't negative. It has a positive intention. Mm. It just isn't getting it over very well. Right. So if you say, okay, like this, there's this, this uh, voice says, uh, what about your hip? What about your hip? I would say, well, well, what about my hip? Like, what, what's your positive intention for telling me that? As though you could have a conversation with this voice, like it was another part of you, and then listen to the hell what it says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it might say, well, you actually have been pushing it pretty hard and all this stuff. Like, try to find the positive intention because even though the packaging might be horrible, mm -hmm. you know, you suck, you stink, you've always been a loser. <laughs> right. It is. If you say, what's the positive intention? Sometimes it won't answer you because for so long it's been trying to get your attention and you have been ignoring it. It's like, well, mm -hmm. now he wants to listen to me. Right. If you give it some some time and what's your positive intention, there is a positive intention under there. Mm -hmm. and if you can find out what that is and find a way to actually satisfy that. So I talked about this professional triathlete who mm -hmm. had this voice back here. Oh, it's, you know, you had a really hard week and it's, she's pretty fast girl and all that stuff. When we asked what the positive intention was, it was to don't be disappointed. Mm. Okay, well, you can, that kind of matters, right? And then we sort of satisfy that about you know what, what it needs to be not disappointed. What it turns out is lay it all out there. Mm -hmm. The clock will be the clock. The podium will be the podium. But if you did what you could, that's it. And once we got that, that voice kind of went away because it was it was satisfied and it didn't need to say it anymore. It knew what it needed to do. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah, great insight. Um, I want to hop back to the set topic we had, but this will be a last reminder. If anybody has any questions, uh, please feel free to put them in the chat, and we'll get to them after we wrap up this topic here. So, um, topic number two, we've already kind of touched on a little bit, mental skills and training versus racing. So now in our current situation, like you mentioned, the Boston Marathon would be finishing, uh, you know, already would have finished or yeah, fi finished right about now. If a runner is racing less often, how can they place themselves in a high pressure situation 
where they can authentically practice the pressure of racing. And we've had people in the stride community uh, setting personal best by, you know, unprecedented amounts just because people have really, really embraced this um, self-isolation going after personal bests. But now for people who normally rely on a racing situation to extract all of, you know, all of that mental will and fortitude out of them, uh, what would you suggest for people that usually rely on that high pressure race day environment to be able to practice some of those uh, things for when we return to a normal schedule down the road? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, again, I'm going to take you back to your stride where stride does not lie, right? So I might be fritzed out about in this weird time about my job, um, you know, when I'm going to get to go to the swim again, are my family okay and all that things. And you, 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 you monitor your heart rate when you get up in the morning. If you, a lot of people have it, uh, you know, an app for that, uh, some heart rate variability app. And you just realize like my heart rate is like five or six or eight beats above already. Uh, a colleague of mine on the D3 coaching staff, Simon Butterworth was doing the escape from Alcatraz triathlon a couple of years ago. And he called me the day before the day before the race and said, I'm waking up here at sea level in San Francisco at with my heart rate's like 10 beats higher every morning. And he goes, it must be pre-race stress. So we did some things to address that, right? And it kind of knocked it right down. So here we are in these weird situations and stress is stress, right? It, it's, you know, whether it's from doing, you know, these really hard, you know, 1K repeats or if it's because I'm just not, I'm worried about my parents, or whatever. So one of the things you can do now though is, is see what you can do to make yourself a better athlete. And if you want to put yourself in that situation, you can do some kind of, uh, you know, a, a workout with yourself against yourself on the stride based on where you should be in your training plan and say, okay, I'm really going to hit it. So on these goofy hill repeats I was doing today, you know, I was trying to think, sorry, I can't figure out which way to do this. I was trying to figure out like, you know, what does it look like when I ring the bell? And for me, it's about 400 watts. There's a pretty good output. And so it's like, okay, it's all a game. So I'm going to game myself and see like, can I, can I hit 400 watts six times in a row? You know, because like, what the hell? What, have I, what else do I have to do? So that high pressure situation is between you and you. And how do you measure it? Well, <laughs> you got your device and the device it does not lie. You know, it doesn't matter if it's windy. It doesn't matter if it's hot. It doesn't matter if you're agitated. Watts is watts, right? So that's one thing I think you can do is, and then there's all this Strava junk where, <laughs> you know, where people are, you know, king of the mountain and each other and all kinds of other stuff like that. So yeah, if you want to go against the best, the thing that's different is not being in the big crowd and getting the buzz ahead of time and, and psyching each other out. I saw this really, I worked with a professional triathlete, um, that my co-author on the book I wrote, Craig Howie, and he had a situation where there was one guy he knew he should be beating based on everything, but he would never beat him in a race. And it turned out what happened is this guy had kind of psyched him out. It was the morning before, you know, when everybody's getting their transition area and Craig is down on his knee fussing with his, I don't know what, shoes or something. And this guy comes up in front of the sun so that the sun is behind his head and he has this halo and he's up above, right? So he's up above like where we put people on a pedestal. They're above us and all that stuff. And he says something like, are you sure you have the right race wheels for your bike today or something, which freaked him out. And then there on after, he could just never beat this guy because 
here's this this light this this um, up above you know above him where he's down beneath he's up above and it's this halo and uh, you can't beat God. You know? <laughs> so we had to actually undo that by having the image of this guy. He brought it down to his eye level where he was seeing the picture of this guy. And he's like, oh, he's not that fast. And then that was the end of that. So anyway, so there's yeah. some things to do to practice like the, you know, it's, it's, it's called social panorama, which is this whole branch of psychology that I work mm -hmm. on also. Um, so that's some things that are hard to get right now. Mm -hmm. But in terms of you and you in the high pressure situation, like I've got my stride, I've got my course there, and I've got the measures, and I know the measures are going to be the measures. So what am I going to do to actually kind of ring the mm -hmm. bell? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to touch on the one subject of the Strava, like King of Mountain or Queen of Mountain things. I think living in Boulder is probably one of the top three worst cities in the U.S. to be living in to try and chase stuff because you see all these uh, Olympians or people that have uh, you know been doing training stints or around the res, and you're like. How, how, how do I even compete with that? But it's a fun kind of uh, pressure environment to be able to put yourself in, uh, which, I, yep. which I think is a fun thing right now. Yep. Um, so next part of this topic is what other crucial racing skills do you see runners and triathletes commonly neglect? Is this a good time to reapproach and practice those skills now? I think so. I think so. Nobody's racing right now. So let's say, say you have a marathon coming up. So you train for it for a long time. You have a week or two week taper period where you're kind of locked in anyway, and you don't get to train the way you like to do. And you sort of pace the cage like a cage tiger and all that kind of stuff. Well, during that time, what can you do? You can practice. You can go do some, uh, you can do some, you know, uh, drills and plyos, you know, just to do a little bit better. Uh, if you're a triathlete, you can practice your transitions. You know, you set up your bike on a trainer and you do your bike and then you see how fast you can get into your running shoes and out in 10 seconds is a pretty good time. So there's things you can do. And then also if you <laughs> do a marathon, pardon me, uh, then for the next two weeks, you're throttled back also. You can't train like, and there's that trail run that you always wanted to do, but I can't cause I'm sort of, you know, beat up and all that kind of stuff. Well, since you, you know, since you have four weeks back, the two weeks before and the two weeks after, what do you want to do with it? You know, and it's like, like that run I always wanted to do. I think maybe I'll go do that run, you know, or that ride I always wanted to do that would have interfered with my racing. It's like, well, maybe I'll use this opportunity to do that. We'll look back on this time in a few years or a year, whenever. And it's like, you know, all of the people from the World War II area, like, what did you do during the war? Right. They all say that. Well, we're going to look back and say, what did you do when you were bolted down? Well, I actually used it for this or that. And, you know, I decided to do this thing. So my wife has got us on a, a, a round of P90X. And, um, you know, that's what we're doing in addition to the sort of normal training stuff. And you know what? <laughs> it's like, this is no joke. So that's what kind of we're doing. So yeah, absolutely. Taking advantage of yeah the situation and we're working on those other things. Um, I want to alternate some of the other questions that people have asked with uh, some of the last questions we have right now. So the first listener question here is we're in an unusual time right now and that many of us are continuing to train for events that may or may not happen. So this is maybe for events right now that are July-ish through the end of the year. So we, we just don't know right now. Any suggestions on pushing through that uncertainty 
Thanks so much for the great insights today. This is from Helena. It's almost like scenario planning, mm -hmm. right? We could have this future or we could have this future. So what am I going to do? If we have this future that the race goes on, I want to make sure that the day before the race, the night before the race, I look back on this time and said I did everything I could. Mm -hmm. right? And you don't want to have any regrets about things that you wish you had done but mm -hmm. didn't. Mm -hmm. Like I just, you know, I had this whole week where I just like missed a whole training week because I, you know, whatever, if I, if it's me the day, <laughs> night before the race, what do I want to say about my training? Like right. I, I did the work mm -hmm. I in the barn, did what I could. And tomorrow I'm going to have as much fun as I can. And the clock will take care of the clock. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to do about this. Um, <coughs> pardon me. The uh, hill repeats at 5,000 feet altitude. Give you that nice uh, dry, dry cough. They do. It's really, that's what it is, really. I, swear. I You don't have to dunk your computer in Clorox. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the, other, the other scenario would be as if it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So what's the worst thing that can happen if it doesn't happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I put all the work in and I had all this fun training and everything and I'm pretty tuned up. So I, I have a little remorse that it's not going to happen, but I don't have any regrets for the stuff I did. So some part of it is like, why are you doing this anyway? Uh, if I'm doing it just to have a good race, then the training's likely to be a chore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's work to get to the race. But if I say, it's, well, it's a whole process where I right. get training and I engage my coach or I got a training plan and I did all this stuff and I did my little stretches in the morning and all that stuff along to the journey. And then the race didn't happen. Well, you know, I, look where I am. Like, yeah. I'm a pretty fit unit. So, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah these two scenarios and and one or the other is going to happen or something else well if this happens i'm going to do it like this and if this happens i'm going to do it like this mm -hmm. and in most cases you're going to do the same things anyway mm -hmm. so then you have no regret or remorse about anything it's like if the race happens i'm going to do this if the race doesn't happen i'm going to do this but it's all the same stuff so it's a no-lose proposition Absolutely. Um, one of the questions we had was, can you relate this situation to anything that you've handled in the past, either personally or advising some other people? If so, what lessons are you applying from this past experience to the current situation? Yeah, if I understand the, the question correctly, and we go back to this is really kind of about negative internal chatter. Sure. So, or and, and maybe uh, the, like the this has kind of been one that we've been asking a lot of people is, uh, you know, the whole global pandemic thing, a bunch of races getting canceled, postponed. People yeah. have a bunch of different experiences that are now being impacted with. Is there anything that you are facing now uh, specifically that you have maybe dealed with in a similar situation in the past? Okay, thanks. Now I understand the question better. So in addition to being the mental skills coach for D3 Multisport and being a triathlon coach, and my day job, I do management consulting for nonprofit organizations. So everybody's scrambling, right? Mm -hmm. On that one, been doing a lot of uh, redoing of strategic plans and redoing of situation analysis and planning for this uncertain future scenario plan like we talked about. Right. And also, I'm the training director for a nonprofit that works on post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. so there's, a, there's a technique. It's in the cognitive psychology realm called 
reconsolidation of traumatic memories. Mm -hmm. And it is successful. It, we did four clinical trials with 160 subjects, and 92% of them, it, it completely eliminated their post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Now, PTSD, D is a disorder, and everybody knows disorders are permanent, mm -hmm. except for PTS behaves a lot more like an injury than a disorder. And injuries heal. Like you fall down, you break your wrist, they put you in a cast, and six weeks later, the bones are healed, mm -hmm. right? And you have to do some rehab and all that kind of stuff, but it heals. So in 92% of the clients, they had a complete elimination of post-traumatic stress. It was healed. Mm -hmm. Now I'm the training director for this, and we are doing these trainings for licensed mental health professionals to get them certified in the RTM protocol. And we get 40 people in a room for four days, and we do a training. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Right. <laughs> Right. So we had to actually pivot on that and and migrate the training to an online platform. And I was talking with, with Angus mm -hmm. today about if you look on the wall behind me, you see all the holes in the wall? Yes. That correspond to the bruise on my forehead. That's me trying to learn a new piece of software to migrate this all through and banging my head against the wall when I try to learn this new piece of software. Right. And so, yeah, this is all happening. And we know that lots of people are cor correct are collecting trauma now. Uh, they've had a loved one get sick, mm -hmm. you know, or they've lost their job or these things that are kind of real trauma. So we're expecting a wave of trauma to be treated. About 8 million people in the U.S. have post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think it's just military veterans, first responders. Oh, no. I mean, somebody wasn't what, you know, was in a bike race and they crashed their bike and they don't want to get back on their bike. Mm -hmm. That's a deal. Right. So, Personally, right now, one of the things I'm going through is having to learn how to actually train and certify 4,000 clinicians in the next two years how to do this when my major training and certification tool just got taken away, getting people in person to be able to do this. And I don't know when it's ever coming back, right. having to, to move over to an online platform. Look, I'm an old guy with fat thumbs. I don't know about how this computer stuff works. And so it's good for me to actually figure this stuff out because that's what we're going to need to do. And lots of people are going to need the treatment. We're going to need lots of therapists to do it. Right. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely, it's, it's relevant to everything going on right now. And it's, I mean, it's good to be able to transfer that set of skills and end up, you know, working with maybe that positive self-talk to, to help it along the way. Um, last question that we have here from a listener is, uh, would meditation help with performance and managing self-talk? I'd imagine it's an effective way to become more aware of your thoughts, which is kind of the point here. And this is something that um, we were talking about at the very top of the show of, you know, that mindfulness and meditation is now more in the forefront of people's minds because there's more apps to get, you know, the concept of it in front of people. And it's something that people talk about in running groups or online and stuff. But would meditation help with performance and managing self-talk? Well, I, I think so. But I have to confess, I don't know that much about it. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really studied that side of things. Mm -hmm. We talked about Bobby McGee, you know, the, the running coach of the USA triathlon team. When, when you get right down to it, he wants you to concentrate on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, concentrate on your uh, on your foot strike, you know, for 100 strides. Concentrate on your elbow swing. Concentrate on your hip position for 100 strides. That's kind of like this, right, mm -hmm. where you're fully concentrating on the thing that you're actually doing. <laughs> but I have to confess, 
Um, I, I don't know much about meditation specifically, and I haven't really tried it very much. I've, I've goofed around with sort of uh, achieving an alpha wave state in order to do some personal change work. Mm. Uh, but I, this is outside my experience. And, I, and so I could have just said, I don't know. But instead, I gave you this verbal diarrhea. But the answer is, I actually don't know. Sure. I, I, I love that. It's actually one of the things, I don't know if you've ever read the um, Freakonomics books or listen to their podcast, but the um, thing, like the three hardest words for people to say in the English language is, I don't know. Um, it's, it's one of the, one of the things, but I, I really do appreciate the, uh, the honesty there because it's, it's something that is still being learned about and discovered for sure. And I um, if, this, uh, if this mental rehearsal mm -hmm. is a form of meditation, where you act yourself, you know, why am I doing this? What are the right. physiological benefits? How does that help my race day? And then make a couple of, of pictures, motion pictures of the your training or your race going perfectly, mm -hmm. first associate, then associate. Maybe that's a form of meditation. I, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, we've had a ton of people uh, send in some comments saying they really appreciate you for the insights given today and the expertise that you've delivered. I want to say thank you as well. Um, where can people find more about you and, and the stuff that you do? Are you on social media at all? Are you, uh, do, do you have a website that people could learn a little bit more about what you do? I would send them to the D3 multi-site web sort, webs, D3 multi. I had a chance to get it right. <laughs> I did. We, we'll we'll link it down in uh, the description as well. The D three multisport website, uh, yep. where and there's a, some bio about me and some of the things. Also, there's a couple of things uh, I did put together a book with my coach, coach Craig Howie, mm -hmm. the the four pillars of of triathlon. And what we found there was that there was lots of books about sports psychology, mostly about what to do, mm -hmm. like you know, run faster when you need to run faster. And when it gets hard, you know, go, don't give up and that stuff. But we didn't find enough about, about what to actually do about it. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have this negative voice, what do I do about it? Well, turn the volume down <laughs> until you can hardly hear it right. or send it 200 meters behind you mm -hmm. or replace it with a positive voice in ahead of time by doing the rehearsal ahead of time so that the negative voice never has a have a chance to show up or find out what the positive intention is. Mm -hmm. These are all specific things to do about everybody knows what they should do, which is not have the voice get in the way. Well, how exactly do I do that? Well, there's kind of four things you can do. And awesome. another thing I really think about, you know, is again, with the stride is, you know, uh, Dave Donahue is one of the D3 athletes who's, you know, pretty fast guy in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And he starts as a swimmer what he, what he had to learn between him and his stride is when he run, he'd get so exhausted. But when he had his stride, he'd look at the numbers and say, well, the numbers say I shouldn't be exhausted. So it ain't physiology. What is it? Mm. And he had, then he got, you know, how, learned how to pace with his stride and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think the, there's some, you know, if you go to the D3 multi multi-sport website you can find some things and and the four pillars of triathlon the book i think there's some stuff about that i also very much like bobby mcgee's book um magical running mm. if you oh, sorry let me get that there if you actually want to look into something he's got a quite good book that i think uh might be worth checking into yeah he was uh the second person to be on the web series it seems like it was forever ago but it was only a couple of weeks ago so um we'll for sure link link those things as well um we didn't have any more questions come through but i 
absolutely want to thank you again for your time today. We've uh, crossed over the hour mark, uh, and I'm sure people will get a ton of insights uh, from this. Everybody really appreciates uh, you, you taking the time today. Um, we hope everybody is out there staying safe and healthy and getting some nice hill repeats in. Uh, and we'll be back with another episode uh, later this week. But for now, this was this episode of the Stride for the Love of Running webinar series. Thank you again so much, Will. Yep.